Welcome to Homeless on the Seacoast, the podcast portion of a special report by Seacoast Media Group. I'm Glenn Sabaluski, and I'm here today with reporter Kyle Stucker and photojournalist Deb Cram, who spent the last few months studying the issue locally and meeting with homeless tenters living in the woods in places like Portsmouth, Dover, Rochester, and Summersworth, one family living in a van, and more. They talked with statewide and local advocates, too, about the issue of homelessness, its causes, and solutions. Today, we'll talk about their work and set the stage for this series. Kyle, let's jump right in and ask. Tell us about 41-year-old Sam, a longtime homeless woman living in a tent city in Summersworth. How did you get her to talk to you, and what did she share about her life? Sam was actually one of the individuals that we found just honestly going straight out into the woods. And like many of the individuals we encountered as we were reporting and, and going out and speaking with these individuals, she was really forthcoming right from the start that a lot of these individuals really want to share their story. They feel like they're not heard or that they're really misunderstood. And given the opportunity, most of the sources we encountered honestly didn't stop talking or sharing. Sam was one of the the most open and honest individuals we encountered. Um, And just really right from the onset, just talking with her about her particular situation and the fact that she's been often off and on homeless since about 2007, but she's been um, largely tenting in this particular area since 2012. And just everything that she's encountered and everything she's seen. Can you tell us a little bit about a little bit more about her day-to-day life and, and what, what, what it's like out there for her? Generally, a lot of her day is scheduled around um, finding access to alcohol, but she does, um, from, a, from time to time, go out and do um, what individuals in the homeless community call flying a sign. It's panhandling. She'll go out in the community, try to collect some money, which she then uses to kind of support some of the other individuals who stay there. She uh, views herself as kind of the mother of the tent city, right? She does. Yeah, she... She's someone who really takes pride in taking care of some of the other individuals out there. That So most most of her day will be spent um, with some of the other individuals down at her tent city. Sometimes she'll go out into the community, whether to, um, to go out to a gas station to get food, water, coffee, tobacco. But a lot of their time is spent out in the woods. Some of these individuals don't quite feel comfortable out in society or prefer not to be out and about just because they are looked at as um, lesser individuals or kind of outcasts. Most of her day, I would say outside of um, just purely surviving and getting what she needs to survive is spent trying to um, kind of cope with the situation. Deb, uh, Kyle tells us that Sam was pretty easy to talk to and open right away. Can you tell us about maybe some of the other people who you had to talk with a little bit and gain their trust before you were able to uh, take photos of where they live in the woods or in their car and and what that was like to meet these people and sort of make inroads with them where they feel comfortable? I found these people to just be lonely, and it's really boring. They've They pretty much all said, it's boring out here, and it's lonely so i think when we actually gave them that platform to to share their stories i think they felt better about it and i think they looked forward to seeing us and maybe we should just broaden that a little bit where if you can imagine what it would be like for these people if you know general society would do that instead of 
you know, shunning them and thinking, you know, oh, you know, there's so many stereotypes out there for so many different issues, but homeless, homelessness is so much, well, it is stereotyped. Not everybody out there, not everybody that's homeless is, uh, you know, on drugs and alcohol and everybody is, uh, should be considered an individual and just like everybody else, you know, and we all have individual needs and uh, wants and dreams and they're no different. You uh, spoke with some people, not all, of course, but some people that had significant criminal records. Uh, can you tell us what their past offenses were and how it's affecting their lives now? So, uh, in Earl Schaefer's case, he was accused by a woman he knew back in 2016 of kidnapping her along with some related charges in the incident. He was later found not guilty of that kidnapping charge. Um, but some of the other offenses, which include a restraining order and simple assault since he made contact with, um, with this woman during the incident, stuck. And those have followed him forward. He served a little bit of jail time, but he's encountering general reaction from the community who know his story. He was pretty, pretty public, the, the kidnapping case. And along with his tattoos, he's, he's pretty easy to identify out and about in the community. So he's found it difficult um, to get work to to find different um, individuals who would help him because of that. And then on the flip side, um, Jonathan Leonard, he he served 15 years um, up until about five years ago. Um, so he served about 15 years for a second degree assault charge, and he through our conversations with Jonathan and his wife. Um, he really emphasized that he he feels he's a different person at this point. That his his outlooks changed pretty dramatically by having kids and getting married, and he's trying to do better uh, in his life. But going out trying to find apartments that would not only um, work for him and his wife on their limited income, but also accommodate their five children has been difficult because individuals see his criminal record. Deb, one of the happiest stories I think you encountered was uh, Nicole Van Kapanal, mm. who uh, has a one-year-old son, Aiden, and had been living in a tent, but just recently got an apartment through the Rochester Housing Authority, I believe. Can you tell us a little bit about the emotions that day? I think you were there the, the day she got the apartment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was great. Um, one, you just you want to see someone, uh, you know, go in the direction they want to go in, and she knew what she wanted, and but she had so many limitations as well. A lot of things to, a lot of hoops to jump through. She's legally blind, and with a, such a strong, strong uh, youngster, she really is a youngster. She's twenty three, right? Twenty four. She's twenty four, and she said she never thought she would get her own apartment by twenty four. She was amazed by that, and she says it seems so surreal, but it's real. Everybody needs help from somebody, you know, and New Generation gave her a step up, which uh, is a uh, shelter in Greenland for pregnant women or women with that are, already have kids to help them go the next step up. Yeah, that day was really emotional. The moment where she was talking about the fact that she never thought that she'd get an apartment that young. Yeah, Nicole, I think, is a, has a story that will make everybody who reads it feel happy for her. But, you know, you certainly talk to some characters that maybe aren't going to get immediate empathy from the general public because they have a criminal record or because they drink a lot and don't work. And maybe people don't understand what their disorders are. 
And you spend a lot of time talking to people like Martha Stone, who's the executive director of Crossroads House, or Susan Ford from My Friend's Place in Dover, Kathy Kuhn, who's the executive director of the National, uh, excuse me, the New Hampshire Coalition to End Homelessness. And can you tell us what you've learned about how homeless people are viewed and really how we should be viewing these people? There's significant misunderstanding in terms of who these individuals are. I mean, you, you touched on it um, in your question and stuff. These these individuals do have criminal records. They do have drug issues. They do have a, a, a variety of other problems that would generally um, receive some negative reactions in the community. That The biggest um, thing we've heard just from our time being out in our communities is that the assumption is these individuals are out out in the woods using some sort of substance, creating problems for the area. Then all of all of the individuals we spoke with, with these different coalitions or shelters or agencies or welfare departments, et cetera, all these advocates are really trying to urge individuals to see them as, as individuals, that they all have their own stories. They all have their own reasons for why they're at the place they are now. Why are they still there, even though all this help is available? Well, I mean, first and foremost, not everybody is suitable for a shelter or housing through a housing authority or anything like that. There are different criteria that disqualify certain individuals. Some of that relates to either their their drug or substance use. Some of it relates to whether they've had an eviction. Um, some of it relates to criminal records or the fact that they're just a single man versus, say, a family or something like that. Um, but a lot of these individuals don't trust different systems, whether we're talking youth homelessness specifically or some of these individuals who have gone through um, either the criminal justice system or foster care or something like that. They don't, they don't trust these systems to actually look out for them because they feel through a lot of them that they're not individuals, they're not actually people, that they're just faces or um, just names on a, on a spreadsheet. Also, right. okay. the waiting lists are, are incredibly long for, you know, they, they could be a, up to a year to two years you're waiting for. In some cases, it's actually three to seven oh. years, too, for some of these housing authorities. And some of the people, I believe, if, um, correct me if I'm wrong, they've, they're living in the woods now, but they've gone down that path of help and resources correct. before, and then it didn't work out. They couldn't sustain the job or the apartment and yeah, that you've seen that a lot of that, right, Deb? Yes. And I also think it's, uh, you know, these people are coming from, uh, you know, uh, yes, they're all individuals. And I do believe that the people that you surround yourself with is so important. I mean, if they could have a support system around them, like Sam doesn't have enough belief in herself to do it by herself. But if she could get a, a team around her, that could make all the difference in the world. What what do you think the people out there need most from the public? What, what the community needs to know is just that they're people. And if you get a chance as a, just a regular Joe on the street to, if you cross paths, then treat them with respect. And they're, they're going to walk their path and they're going to do what they need to do. And you're going to do the same. But there's no harm in just you know, uh, trying to relate to these people. We, we want to make sure, especially as the temperature changes here, things start to drop below freezing and get into winter, that these individuals aren't forgotten through some of this coverage because their their issues change on a week-to-week basis, depending on what's kind of happening in the community and the environment. So, But I, I do know that there are a lot of people out there that do care, 
and I call you, we went to that um, Phyllis Woods house, and there were so many people just sitting around on. That's a former state representative from Dover has been having meetings in her home. That's right, and uh, so all these different individuals from different uh, organizations, they they all care, they all want to, uh, they want all want to help, but there's this is not a black and white issue, so. There's no one right answer. I, I guess that's that's the thing. And everyone, if they count them as an individual, that makes sense. That there wouldn't be one. It, it's it's a right answer for this individual, perhaps. But it, that's the problem with the issue. Really, is that there are so many different factors feeding into homelessness right now that proposing one blanket solution for the entire seacoast, let alone the entire state, because the the issues are different depending on regions just isn't possible. Uh, there was one thing that we didn't uh, touch upon, which I think is pretty important. Um, the youth homelessness issue, um, you know, youth are just starting out. They haven't really had a chance to um, make too many mistakes, you know, and, and when they're, they're and they, that can be, they're homeless for a number of reasons, such as they might have mental health issues. They might come from a family whose parents are really, uh, really, um, kind of messed up and they're doing drugs and they don't want to get into that scene so they will leave uh they might be uh gay or trans or whatever and their parents are not accepting that and they get kicked out and they rely on their friends if if possible they do a lot of couch surfing and that's a big issue couch surfing and that's not a stable environment it might keep the rain off their head but you know if you don't know where you're going to sleep you know, on Thursday and today's Monday, you're, it's very stressful. They need support. And a number of those youth, based off just um, school district data, is about triple the size of the, the state-level homeless numbers that are reported. And if any of our listeners out there want to help out, that if you can't do, uh, do it from your uh, wallet, then... Uh, a lot of these organizations uh, would love to have volunteers help them out. There's so many different things you can uh, you can help out with. So, my biggest recommendation is everybody is actually looking to to help out in any way. The one of the best places to start is probably your local welfare office or department. Those individuals are usually the ones that are best in tune with what, say, somebody in Dover or someone in Portsmouth or someone in Rochester is facing, or where the shortfalls really are addressing things from that point um, that perspective might be the best way to go about actually bringing some sort of change to this if you're so inclined to thank you deb and thank you kyle for your time today i appreciate it and uh, we hope our listeners will continue listening to the rest of the episodes in this homeless on the seacoast podcast series